0: Okay. yeah yeah so so what I wanted to do is is run through this um this outline i have of of the zeitgeist um and so many people have asked me what does zeitgeist mean um zeitgeist is basically the German word for the spirit of the times um and it's basically uh like the cultural trends, i guess is the simplest way of putting it, um like what's what's prevalent in society, how it is um, uh, what are the, what are some, some of the major movements, what are things our society is, um, what's, what sort of, um, part of the salience landscape of our society is another way of thinking about it. I think like, what are we attending to? What, what are we finding important? What are we focusing on sort of? Yeah, that's, that's maybe you have a better way of thinking about. It.
1: No, I mean, that sounds uh, when I think of zeitgeist, I think of kind of the, uh, the... Uh, the sum of all the major
0: culture, um, Mm -hmm. directions. It's, I think, uh, a good, a good way of thinking about it is also like the different principalities and powers that are at play in our society is a really, really helpful way of thinking about it for me because, um, many of the things I'm touching on do sort of have this, um, this feel of sort of this spirit that's, Possessing a society and moving it in certain directions in a way. Um, okay, so so I have six different um, categories. Um, I'll just list them over like the first one is efficiency. Um, second one is transgression. The third one is um, what is the third one? Third one is alternatives. the third The fourth one is despair. The fifth one is ideology and the sixth one is longing. So um, that doesn't necessarily tell you a lot of, a lot about uh, where I'm going with these, but um, we'll just run through those now. Um, and I sort of picked also a word that sort of captures the zeitgeist as a whole. And the word I picked is an age of uncertainty because of, as far as I can tell what's what's the most characteristic about our age is sort of this um this prevalence of of different ways of of, of understanding the world the collapse of a sort of coherent narrative um to use barbaki's terms the collapse of a coherent um narrative nomological or normative order people sort of flailing about for for trying to grasp onto something and then latching onto. To ideologies and simple solutions, um, but but just this general sense of of uncertainty and um, not being sure of you know of of who who we are like I, our identities are in flux, not sure of um, you know where we should be headed, not sure uh, where our what we're not even sure about about practically anything. Um, it seems like everything it ha- is, um, has mu- has multiple different ways. It's sort of spinning off into multiple different directions. Yeah. Um,
1: I almost think of it as like a, a song with no bass or drum, right? It's all just mid-tones and treble, but there's mm-hmm. nothing kind of like uh, stabilizing or, or acting as a ground yeah, yeah. a basic beat that everyone's kind of, uh, at least, there's no common ground for anybody. Which yeah, yeah. kind of, sharp spiking out as people, like you said, kind of grasp, uh, grasp or desperately move towards something to give them a sense of normalcy or security.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. Um, yeah, I don't know enough about music to to completely, uh, get that, but, but I, I like the way of sort of, you know, this, this sense of grounding has seems to be lost where the way I often think about it is just people seem to be floating around in midair, in yeah. a way. <laughs> yeah. um, but so let's sort of, so let me sort of run through the different categories. So um, the first one I have is, is what I call efficiency. Um, and what I mean by efficiency is sort of this ethos of efficiency where the ultimate goal is to be more efficient, to, to have the maximum gain for the minimum amount of effort and um, and and this value of efficiency is set over against everything else we value it's set over against humanity over against um you know tradition over against nature over against religion it's sort of the only thing that matters is that we can be more efficient in all domains of life um and so so there's this um this now this story i want to use that sort of captures this in a pretty strong way in my mind where there was this town who who decided they wanted to to build a new um, manufacturing facility and so it, there's sort of limited space there you know I'm, I'm changing some details here but they wanted they wanted the prime location um and, and the, they, they just couldn't find one except they finally settled on the graveyard and you know the graveyard was the perfect place for this new this new facility you know you could have the main entrance there where mary is mary's grave is and the trucks could pull up over over her aunt betty's grave and you know that's just perfect that let's build it here and <laughs> so so what they decided to do is they they exhumed the graveyard they dug up all the corpses and then moved them to the other side of the town um where 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 there were no future projects that could get in the way, and they decided to build the, the 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 manufacturing shop right over the graveyard where it used to be, and to me that sort of captures this sense that you know there's nothing more important than being efficient in business and these values of you know letting the rest the dead rest in peace or. Um, the the sense that the graveyard is a sacred place in some sense is just thrown thrown to the side because we value efficiency and um, that's why I I also argue that this this value of efficiency um, is ultimately anti-human because it tries to to create a reality that's that's logical. That's efficient. That's um, mechanistic. That's um, uh, with which sort of it sort of wants to to progressively crowd all of reality into this understandable, logical, um, efficient system. And anything that's not efficient is continuously squeezed out, so that you um, you sort of don't have room for for that which doesn't fit the 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 sort of efficient system um
1: makes me wonder what is the efficiency for at some point right because generally you could almost imagine the spirit of efficiency having been born from the desire for uh, relaxation or pleasure right it, it's it's out mm-hmm. of the desire for more yep. time to be human that we seek efficiency
0: yeah Except yeah
1: that that's not how it played out it actually became we forgot the human part and rate mm-hmm. efficiency as a value of its own not yeah. to create more space for something else but just in its own pursuit you can almost see Absolutely. a kind of nihilism develop automatically in that
0: move it uh, it seems it seems to sort of have um have slipped out of our out of human control yeah. in the sense that we're we're being led around by the nose by by efficiency right um it's sort of this this notion that that just progress in technology for the sake of progress in technology is good no matter what we're progressing towards or what our goal is or uh, what impact it has on on traditional human society or, or whatever it's just we need to to get more efficient and more rational and more logical and there's no thought about what that squeezes out
1: Yeah. Well, and this very much reminds me of what you often hear nowadays um, as critiques of capitalism or mm-hmm. late stage capitalism and things. These kinds of conversation topics usually seem to focus in on that this problem of prioritizing efficiency above humanity, uh, yes above any other you know um,
0: it's <clears throat> it's, um, it's essentially a view of reality. Which which sees which sees reality essentially as a machine, yeah. and and anything that isn't a machine is 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 less is less valuable, and that's that's the key point for me, is is the value judgments that get made here, where um the what this efficiency logic sort of says is you know our what what's what's valuable is what's efficient, what's logical, what's rational, what's reproducible, um, what gets us the results. In this sort of mechanistic machine logic, you know, we, need, we need input and then we need output in the most efficient way. That's, that's what we value. But when you think about um, you know, elderly people, do they sort of meet that criteria? Or um, the graveyard is another good example, right? What's the point of a graveyard? Like, isn't it just taking up space? Why don't we just burn the corpses and throw them into the, you know, maybe throw them, throw them into the rivers or something like, why be so sentimental about corpses or, um, and this is where I I get into another example, Um, religion, you know, what's the point of, of, of what religious people do in church, right? We, we go and we have these weird rituals and we pray and, it doesn't really seem to have any sort of um measurable result on our lives. Like we can't sort of um dial up God and get him to, to work some miracles on us. No. Um in a way <laughs> in a way that sort Although of uh certain form. That's yeah. what I'm getting to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then but then you have sort of something like the the prosperity cost. Yeah. Which essentially has okay we want our religion to be as efficient and rational as possible so let's create a god who's essentially a cosmic slot machine where if we insert the right um, prayers and think the right thoughts we're going to get the right results and the more results you ha- have the better your faith is so it's sort of this this um this religion that sort of that sort of has has completely taken in this ethos of efficiency Um. And a second example would be um, something like the mega church with 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 the church growth movement stuff, where it's like, how can we maximize um, our outreach with the gospel? like how can we get as many butts in the seats as possible? Well, we need to use propaganda. We need to use um, corporate advertising techniques. We need to use uh, popular music, and then just put these shallow Christian lyrics over top. We need smoke machines. We need the whole nine yards because our ultimate value is maximize efficiency and get as many people in as, as possible, without and then. But the but the sort of um, whole process of you know training people. In discipleship and and these types of things gets radically shoved to the side because that's not what that's not what's sufficient
1: yeah yeah well and yeah and just to extend that even a little further you see it even in the concept as we move away from a process like uh is it theosis
0: mm, yeah uh, is I... that is that that's uh man becoming god God-like
1: through the practice of the religion that the goal mm-hmm. of, a, of a religion would be something like theosis where you're moving towards God yeah and instead it gets replaced again with this very tokenistic um, you know all that matters is that you got baptized and that you eat commune you know partake of communion and then it's right you you got the symbol and that's all that matters now go on with the rest of your your life um,
0: yeah yeah it's um uh, part of that has a lot to do with um certain sort of this anxiety over works righteousness in certain Protestant circles where they they get sort of very uh, nervous about um about about discipleship or um yeah probably characterized or maybe not there's definitely people who believe that but they get really um angsty about um things like discipleship or following after or, um, radically committing to the faith, um, because they think that's sort of a way of earning your salvation. Yeah.
1: Um, and well, and it, it, it and is a hierarchy when you have those trying harder than others to follow, you know,
0: uh, mm-hmm. that's well, like
1: that one speed or two speed religion type, you know,
0: yeah, yeah. You
1: have the lay person, and then you've got like the the monk class or the priestly class who have taken on extra vows and have gone about life in a way that they can pursue the religion um, at a different rate than the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, but Protestantism quite distinctly tries to get rid of that with the yeah, yeah. lowering of the priest as just being another of the many. Um, is not, well, I, there's clear value there. But in the sense that another way to look at it would be well, ideally you're raising everyone up to the priest. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Class. I mean, but <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was. Uh, that was that's a, what it was intended to be. Um yeah. yeah, I'm not even sure. I don't even, I don't know enough about um, neither Lutheranism one. or Calvinism or whatever. Um, but I know for example, in, in Anabaptism, that's, which is the tradition I'm from, which is, that's definitely what, what the goal is, is everyone is supposed to be the priest. Like everyone is supposed to be on the one, the, is it the one or the two speed they're supposed to be on the the, the highest yeah, level speed.
1: Yeah, the, I think the two, but yeah, I don't know what the actual <laughs> order is. <laughs> Probably one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, there, just a brief thing that popped into my head when you were talking too was how it seems like one uh, perhaps the major effect you were focusing on there is that this idealization of of uh efficiency has the effect of destroying the categories of sacred and profane
0: Mm, oh yeah definitely
1: just erodes away at it right In, in the um desire to to figure out what the best answer is, we actually not only remove um, the idealism around what is sacred in the case of your um, um, graveyard, but we also lose the sense of, of um, profane, in the sense of exhuming a dead body, right? There's two aspects to it. The graveyard is sacred, but it's mm-hmm. it's balanced with that sense of sacredness by, uh, in a sense, profaning death. <laughs> it's a...
0: Mm, I but it could be quite in other it. more
1: blunt ways. So, say um, the relationship we have with waste products, or um, I don't know. You could go a lot of different directions uh, in the towards the profane direction, um, where efficiency can can break uh, apart the category of it.
0: Mm, I, I, I'm not quite. I'm not quite getting where you're going with that. I mean, I definitely see how efficiency um sort of squeezes out the sacred and and just says you know the sacred isn't um efficient enough for us but i i don't quite get what you mean with um profane could you say yeah more? yeah
1: so well i guess a really ob- or perhaps blunter obvious example would be say for instance a um, um uh, a, a company uh, dumping its waste products directly into a river
0: okay like, okay like,
1: that would be one very obvious example, but we've kind of taken that on in many more subtle areas.
0: Well, well. I guess I would argue the, uh, that's still related to the sacred in, in some sense because yeah.
1: no, you can't earlier
0: earlier view would have said, you know, the river is enchanted or something and, um, right. It's, it's not okay to just to just violate the river because there's something sacred about it you know you, you need to take care of nature it's filled with spirits or you know the enchanted world so in yep. the enchanted world there is sort of no profane sacred distinction uh, I, which I think in my mind that this whole um, environmental crisis actually comes out of this sort of enlightenment or, or maybe even a reformation a view of, of this split world where the sacred just gets continuously squeezed out of existence and all that we have left is this dead profane, uh, reality which we can exploit and, um, and just use and, and, and rape to our, um, yes.
1: Profane. Yes. Although I would say, right. It's that bizarre thing of like when you make everything profane, nothing is profane. I guess another way might be, to, and it, it's impossible to talk about the profane without talking about the sacred also but yeah the other end we could say right using sex to sell objects through marketing Mm -hmm. would be this um degradation of understanding uh profanity where it's we've actually reduced the category of it now you could also describe it as a reduction of sacred of of uh, you know marital bond the sacredness of a sexual union and and those types of things but
0: oh the the profane sort of um just becomes uh, like so bland and normal like the the act of sex, which sort of used to be um you know when you have this sacred secular divide right um it's just a lot more shocking and and um and transgressive, but now it suddenly becomes something so bland and so um ordinary and so mainstream you have sort of um, you know, people uh, who who can't have sex anymore because they've been—it uh, doesn't trigger totally anything. Too yeah. much, public. Um, you know, pornography. Like that's the type of thing. It's yeah. it's a complete flattening of reality. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, can move on to the to the second category, or um, if we have more to say here, I'm sure we could go on for a while. But we should probably move on. <laughs> This is a rich category. Um, so the second category is transgression, um, and what's going on here is is sort of this this ethos of transgression, where our society sort of values people who who are countercultural, who are you know prophetic, who are um, going against the mainstream, you know, sticking it to the system, critiquing the um, the mainstream, and and being countercultural in that way, and. It's very interesting how this is a phenomenon both on the left and on the right politically so so obviously you have the left-wing version of this which is um, sort of the, the, the politically correct left where it's like um, okay uh, we are going to critique Western civilization for being patriarchal and um, and heteronormative and sexist and and what have you and We're going to point out all the ways our society is racist and um, homophobic and sexist and we're going to critique the institutions We're going to critique the justice system critique our um, governmental system critique our Institutions our traditions, whatever. We're we're sort of the sort of styling themselves as these um, These transgressive alternatives to the mainstream and then critiquing it from from the outside Um, and then there's a similar dynamic on the, le- on the right. Um, I think there are sort of two different versions of this on the extreme end, you have someone like the alt right to sort of see what's going on the, on the PC left. And that sort of just, they just sort of go off the deep end of the other on the other extreme and just react, um, to this sort of hyper awareness, hyper, um, what's the word, you know, just being uh, just the way the left is sort of very hypersensitive. And then the, the right, the, the alt right will just, um, transgress for the sake of transgression. You know, they'll just break all of the norms, break all of the sacred cows, just be ultra racist, ultra sexist, ultra homophobic, just go off the deep end and just break things to break things. And, uh, there's i could maybe read you a quote here from there's a really good book by by angela nagel called um what is it called you know it's it's sort of on the rise of the alt right and she sort of points out this dynamic between the the left the the alt right and the p c left where they're sort of engaged in this aged arena death spiral or where like the the p c left will be sort of very hyper you know, they'll be hypersensitive. The, the right wing will sort of notice that and then they'll poke at them and then the, the left will react. And then there's sort of this death spiral into, into more extreme versions of where everyone started out. Um, but, but I, so that's the, the extreme version. And then there's also a a bit of a main, a more mainstream version of this on the right where you'll have, um, you know, someone like, uh, Joe Rogan, when he says the, you know, being traditionalist, the new punk where like, um, by embracing traditional values, by, by being, um, by embracing, you know, traditional marriage or, or whatever, you're sort of going against the mainstream. So, so, so because society has sort of moved further away from traditional, um, Categories and return to traditional categories is sort of being styled as rebellion transgressive
1: Um, There's also uh, the segment of the right where it's not Necessarily set up in direct opposition to the concept of the left although some of that is present but actually as also much like the left a critique of power systems Except that it's directed towards different power systems. It's not directed mm. towards companies. It's directed towards Hollywood, and that's where you get like the QAnon phenomena, and the like really intense conspiracy theories, or the flat earthers, or those okay. are all right leaning movements. Um, yeah, that's heavily a... heavily right um, <laughs> leaning movements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I, yeah, that's that's a that's a very good point. I was. Um, I, I was going to say something uh, similar where um, you have sort of characteristics of, of how this, um, this transgressive critique is done or you have sort of from the left app, uh, sort of a historical deconstruction of, you know, of of, 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 for example, Western civilization. And, and they'll say things like, okay, just look at this patriarchal history and how, you know, the entire Western canon is sort of, um, uh, filled with this, with this patriarchal, uh, bad stuff. And you'll sort of see alternative histories on the right as well, where, you know, maybe someone like, you mentioned this to me once someone like, um, bronze age pervert. Is that the guy who, who wrote this book, um, about uh, sort of this, the, the sort of this nostalgia for this, um, uh, this, this primordial, um, masculine past or something. Um, I yeah. think, I think the movie fight club is an interesting thing to bring in here where, um, you know, there's, there's sort of this, 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 this same deconstructive tendency, but, yeah. but this this wanting to return to this primordial past, right? There's this great line by uh, Tyler at one point where he says, um, you know, my vision for the future is sort of this this desolate cityscape with vines going up the sears tower and the abandoned rockefeller center and people uh, (laughs) people uh beating out corn and and laying out venison to dry on the on the abandoned highways and um what was the other one he used um but just sort of this this return to this primordial past where uh where, where somehow the strength or the vitality or uh who are who who we are really supposed to be is to be found um yeah, yeah. so yeah. That.
1: that's very a very powerful motive in uh yeah se- big sections of the alt right which bronze age pervert would be part of and uh there's a handful of of those and it goes back away to uh, you know yukio Mishima. I don't know if you've come across him. He was a Japanese author Mm. after World War II. But he kind of, you see a lot of the same threads coming from that. And it is almost like this uh, return to a warrior culture. It's very distinct with Yukio Mishima because it was literally at the time period where Japan went from its extreme warrior culture, Mm -hmm. um, past and present, And then suddenly flipped upon losing world war ii and having its its spirit kind of crushed and and this you see him functioning as this uh bizarre um junction between those two spirits of the country we could say or you know principalities
0: is there also seems to be and maybe i i hope you can say more about this but sort of ah within something like fascism, this embrace of hyper modernity where it's like this, this crushing power of, of the machine and the, you know, the fire coming out from the bellows and this, this sort of hyper masculine machine techno um, uh, powerful uh, dictatorship style. So this is sort of a, a very similar sort of masculine tendency, but but sort of in a more progressive direction. Yeah, there. that's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost get like uh, you almost get fascism as as the modernizing of the warrior culture.
0: Oh, yeah. And and interestingly, I think there is something similar on the left. Like we just discussed sort of how progressivism. There's this push to sort of invent a new future. Um, but there's also, a, I think, a, a, a sort of a primordial version of the of the oh, left you that know was, like I mean, great mother and like, back
1: to nature um or yeah the very yeah. green movements or or even right as it's now called eco-fascism right mm. in the effort to to save the planet we will become fascist dictators over human behavior mm. uh, for the benefit of mother earth right it's there's weird there was the environmental it. terrorists you know earlier in the 20th century and and all these types of
0: see this environmental terrorist uh, sort of strikes me as, um, something similar to, to like Tyler Durden in, um, in fight club, like the same tendency there. It's a fascinating movie. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh, and there's the very and this was actually somewhat predicted by the postmodernists of all people, but they, one of the distinct qualities of a postmodern age is, um, this recycling, this regurgitate, this go backwards, mentality. There's no longer anything new. Everything is just re-consuming itself um, rather than actually pushing forward. And this, it is kind of like that we've, we've been blinded to the future. So the panic response of everybody is to look behind them, right? Look backwards to that time where that used to be, where everything was great and perfect. Yeah, and,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: felt right, "Make America Great Again" was the uh-huh. slogan of our president. It's it's present Trump. across the board.
0: Trump, it's such a a fascinating figure because you could you could tie him into almost all of the categories I'm 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 yeah. I'm writing about here like he's very much for example a response to to the sort of identity politics left, for example. Um because he um, he's just sort of he's, 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 he's very similar to the alt-right in that way because he he just reacts by just saying what he wants and yeah. um, being I think the best description of Trump is an internet troll because yeah. Yeah. he just he just triggers the opposite side and he's very much a reactive figure to the other side, and because he has this um, way of talking he's absolutely, he's completely immune to this, to the critiques, because he's just not operating within this sort of, um, virtue economy, right? He, yeah. he just doesn't, he doesn't give a damn about, uh, no. about, uh, about the whole, uh, No, he's
1: playing a different game.
0: Uh, yeah. Which totally.
1: validates the game everyone else is playing to try and topple him within their own frames. And, and
0: interestingly, uh, this is also similar to the alt right because the more the PC left um, jacks up their game and the, jacks up their critiques of Trump, the more this empowers him and the more this fuels his own rhetoric. So there's again this agent arena relationship, this back and forth where um, Trump um, ratchets up the rhetoric, left ratchets up the rhetoric, and there's this infinite polarizing death spiral going on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you, well, you're creating a, an ever firmer boundary between game A and game B, in a sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Because each yeah.
1: time you keep trying to use game A to uh, critique game B, all you end up doing is showing that you're really not playing the same game. Yeah, right. Yeah. And if you kind of let it congeal, you start getting these, or let it relax, let you know, not create some. Well, it keep what keeps coming to mind is Hegel's. Um, dialectical definition, right? Hmm. We, only, we only develop a sense of self in opposition to other selves, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you're, it, it's almost like each is trying to define themselves by reflecting off of the other. And that creates this polarizing spiral that you're bringing up. But Maybe what it, what it is also is ways. both trying to form personal identities. That's impossible for them to do without, projecting their own identity onto the enemy i right? it's a weird dynamic <laughs> but maybe it's very, what
0: need to do very, is <laughs> maybe what you need to do is sort of have multiple identities your um uh, you know you sort of need to identify yourself against your own tribe and then identify yourself against the other side and then maybe some other tribes that would be probably maybe maybe that's a healthier way to form an identity is, uh, have these multiple sources of attention, uh, to, to get yourself growing. When
1: you create a more modular sense of yourself through that as opposed to a pure polarizing, um, yeah, yeah. Structure, um, so that you're adaptable and you can cross enough into somebody's game to actually pull them closer Mm -hmm. towards a different pole. Right, because I have a picture <laughs> in my head that would be a nightmare to describe in words.
0: <laughs> Is it the scale?
1: Kind of, but it's multiple scales and how they, you know, if you have an axis, you got this polarity, but you might have a diagonal. If you can get the person to agree to the diagonal game, you can pull them on that axis, and they don't even realize that they're moving closer to center on the okay. in which they had defined themselves in a polarity.
0: Hmm, okay
1: It'd be easy to draw but it's yeah, it doesn't fit well in words. Yeah,
0: we've uh, we sort of stumbled into the third category here uh, Which is alternatives Um, Yeah, and oh, yeah, that was an important point with the last one too is that
1: All of the discussion focuses on deconstruction Nobody's actually looking for an answer to the problems. It's just critique And then Mm -hmm. it stops. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Productive. And then that leads the way
0: for this one. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is definitely part of it. I think, um, so, so by what's going on here is a collapse of, um, collapse of the mainstream essentially because you have, you know, the internet, you have multiculturalism, you have pluralism, you have, um, sustain
1: a mainstream. It's too complicated of an environment.
0: Yeah yeah
1: in a single narrative
0: <laughs> and part of it is also what you just said about the the critiquing going on from everyone where you're always you know the mainstream media is doing this, and um uh, you know there they're, everyone is critiquing the mainstream, so the mainstream is just uh falling apart yeah um so 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 March. there's
1: yeah, yeah go ahead sorry
0: breakdown of the mainstream <laughs> and then there's also we also live in a post truth society where um it's we're no longer as interested in truth as we are in authenticity or will um and again trump is a perfect example of this because he sort of manifests both um the authenticity and the will because you know um so 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 what's going on with authenticity it's i'm not as interested in what's true i'm interested in being true to myself in being honest to myself in, in sort of, uh, living within my own reality. And then, and, um, and what would be a good way of describing that, you know, living within my own reality and not, um,
1: I think how I've described this, uh, cause I focus on this, this distinction quite a bit. And, yeah. Um, and I brought it up with Paul before. And what I think it is is that it's actually a change in the game that we are playing. Uh, in order to have a, a battle about truth, you have to have everybody agree about what truth is, right? And or, then you I, can make logical arguments to support which to battle out which truth is more true than another.
0: I, I, I let me disagree for a second. I think. I mean, that's part of it, but I think another big issue is there is no agreement on the narrative from which um, we are talking about truth, right? I think this is linked to this collapse of the, of the narrative or the normological or normative system where we're no longer operating from the same uh, way of seeing the world. And because we're, uh, we're in these different narratives, we, we can't have the same discussion about truth. That's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. I think we're okay. agreeing
1: with different ways of describing it. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I, mean so, I guess okay. when you, when you said, uh, we're not sure what truth is, I was thinking of, you know, participatory or, um, uh, you know, where are these different participatory truth and, um, uh, what are the different types of truth, you know, perspectival
1: uh, propositional. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought we were talking about that.
1: Um, Yes, well, and I guess the problem is, it, it, well, it's kind of like that. In order to, to agree about what the nature of truth is, mm-hmm. we need some amount of a united narrative so that everyone can play the truth game on an on a even playing field. Sure, yeah. Um, and I don't think we have that anymore because, like you were saying, instead what we are doing is not battling truths within a frame, Instead, we're battling frames. Yeah, yeah. Battling yeah. Frames, you start having to use different um, uh, faculties for deciding which frames are good ones from which ones are bad ones. So you can't tell if a thing is true um, objectively, right? Yeah. In the yeah. ultimate frame. What you end up doing instead is looking for consistency within the frame. So if a person's exactly. words, are aligned with their actions exactly that is a way to say hey that frame is consistent and it will be able to battle other frames better right yep. and then yep. what do we call that we call that authentic authenticity or honesty right if if a person's action is aligned with their words that's being honest
0: what do you that's have a uh, <laughs> okay I, what do you have a, a more um so, so okay. I think that's the the healthy, uh, the, the the more sophisticated version of that. But but do you think you could? Um, how would you how do you formulate how this plays out with most people? Because most people are interested in authenticity, but I don't know if they necessarily have what you're talking about in mind.
1: Um, no, Well, I think what ends up commonly happening is, is people have already in a sense subconsciously picked up on the fact that the game has changed. The mm-hmm. problem is that it's, it's very difficult to be an authentic person. It, co- it comes at huge personal cost to be yeah. honest.
0: But yeah, definitely.
1: Um, <clears throat> and it makes you much more vulnerable because if the self you're being is the real one and not a character you made up, then when it's criticized, it hits you, not Mm -hmm. the image that you created, right? not the character you created. Um, so I think what's happening is that a lot of people are learning how to put on the image of authenticity, um, without being authentic.
0: Yeah. I think it's sort of, uh, I'm, I'm picking the mask I put on. And I call that authenticity. Yes,
1: yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, I think that's right.
1: There's no actual movement to take the mask off. And I think largely because people don't have a mechanism anymore for removing a mask, right? Especially outside of a religious frame. I'm not sure how you would do that, right? Because you need. Whatever the thing underneath the mask is needs some sense of reality greater than your own concept of yourself
0: and and think about it, what a religious community at its best is doing It's people um holding everyone accountable right it's it's um it's someone saying, okay, you're not living up to the standard, but if you have a community of you know false authenticity where everyone is wearing a mask, it's sort of this really toxic place because everyone is saying, you know, be authentic. Um, And by being authentic, I mean, um, you be you and I be I and uh, we won't critique each other and um, and it's it's not even getting to the level of dissolves community. uh, Yeah, because it's it's always keeping people at a distance, right? It's we're going to keep our masks on and we're going to have the masks interact in a way that they never touch, right? Yes. Because we're never going to butt heads at all. So it's pretty nasty.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so, oh, I think that's what you see with social media, which I uh, described as right, the wax museum, but that's the same kind of idea, right? Yeah. It's, it's just masks. It's a, it's a whole game being played with masks and it becomes very ironic because this thing that is literally made out of just humans interacting and relating with each other right being in community with each other actually becomes almost the perfect inverse of the thing that allows community allows yeah. relationship
0: it's yeah yeah very bizarre. um so so getting back to trump i think he manifests this authenticity thing because you know the justification you hear for from a lot of trump supporters for why they voted for trump is because he says it like it is. Yeah. And by that they don't mean he's speaking the truth. No. He's, he's giving us the, the reality or the facts. What they actually mean is he sounds like a blue collar American worker. He sounds like us. He sounds like my tribe. He's, um, he's, he's sort of, um, uh, giving, uh, what's the word? He's, he's, um, affirming the re- he's affirming my reality. He's that, He's, authentic, he's the authentic choice for a person like me. For, for, so there's the part
1: of it where he's reflecting the constituents' persona back yeah. at them. That's there's exactly. also the part, and this one is, is perhaps even weirder, um, he's the liar that tells you he's a liar. <laughs> oh yeah, like, yeah. And <laughs> there is something authentic. You can trust a liar that tells you they're a liar <laughs> more than you can trust the liar that says I'm not. And that's what you saw with Hillary versus Trump, was you had a liar that was doing her very best to try and look like she was not a liar, and then you had a liar that was just like, "Hey, I'm a liar." He's (laughs) a bullshitter. He's a
0: bullshitter in the pervasive sense of the term.
1: Yes, that's a a much better term for it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But you also get the feeling that there's no filter. Right. there's not the self-reflective loop of trying to design his his image which is again very weird.
0: Uh, I guess I guess what what strikes me about Trump is if you've ever been around um sort of working class older people who are who who like to bullshit that's exactly how Trump sounds like yes. he would just fit right into the sort of um 60, pl- 60 70 plus um group of of elderly people who just like to hang around and just bs about stuff so so in that sense I'm, i yeah <laughs> it's interesting um uh, so so authenticity is one side of it but the, the a bit more pernicious side of it is will where i'm not interested in truth or authenticity i'm interested in um letting my version of reality forcing my version of reality onto reality and making reality the way I want reality to be and Trump is a fascinating figure here because you never hear Trump say anything negative about himself right he's always (laughs) super positive about himself and if you look at at the root at the at the um, religious roots of Trump it's 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 a pretty fascinating story he's been involved with people like um, uh, Joel Osteen and the and the um oh, weird and the and the um uh, what is the word that we've written out here um and the power of positive thinking movement yeah where essentially what what they say there is um if you believe in yourself if you um if you believe in yourself if you uh hold your belief strongly enough if you never give up and if you that sort of this this liturgy of repeating um, things back to yourself in front of the mirror, like I am beautiful, I am rich, I am strong, and if you repeat that and believe it hard enough, it'll become true. And Trump is, has actually been uh, really influenced by that sort of uh, thing, and yeah. you sort of see that with his whole um, turning the world into the way he wants the world to be, right? When when a scandal comes out, he just gives his version of reality his narrative, yeah, and. By repeating it often enough, it actually, in a way, becomes true, mm-hmm. because his supporters believes it, he believes it, it, it um, throws the mainstream media into, um, into this total confusion, because who do you believe? the president or, or the media? or And uh,
1: the side effect is that it makes the media it reveals the media's narrative manipulation at the same time, even if you can see it because it's very obviously on display with Trump, when you watch the media respond, it suddenly becomes clear, hey, wait, they're just bullshitting too. They're just making a shit up. (laughs) They're doing the same thing he is. It's just doing it in the other direction. And again, that has this effect of throwing out our sense of truth and instead moving towards, um, you know, well, which one do I, trust well yeah. this
0: might be again the the trump versus hillary thing where you have the liar and the bullshitter going head to head maybe um something like that yeah
1: yeah that's a good point
0: uh but uh but i just find that fascinating <laughs> well
1: and that is interesting because the there is a some sense in which we almost think of the liar as very cerebral and we think of the bullshitter as very. Uh, willful in the gut, right? So one is, is, they're both doing the same trick, it's just one is doing it from above you and one's doing it from below you. And then the question becomes, which of those feels more real, right? It's, it's, you almost get the sense of like a pyramid. We're gonna default to the lower level, right? Because it's making up the foundation of the pyramid. The will is always going to trump the intellect so long as we are stuck within that game, right? You have to build the pyramid all the way up to the intellect, oh, yeah. Until yeah. you st- get to start playing intellectual games. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to use the intellect to defeat the will, it will lose every time, right? It's just, it's not in the same category of forces. It's like in order to have electromagnetism, you have to have nuclear um, interaction. Right, mm-hmm. And if you, if you just try and overpower the nuclear using electricity, you'll lose because one is just a more fundamental force. It's just more powerful. You can't get around it. You have to have stable nuclear interaction. Then you get to play with electricity or electromagnetism. It's a goofy yeah. analogy, but hopefully it
0: <laughs> I don't know anything about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I think I get the point yeah it's it's more primordial uh, more powerful in a way i think uh in, in a more oh, it's, it's the more elephant powerful in a in a um in a gut based sense i mean the 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 intellect has this more abstract power over yeah. time where uh, yeah it's
1: the rider and the elephant right mm-hmm. if you can avoid a direct confrontation, the writer might have some chance against the elephant, but if you throw them into the same ring together, you know, the elephant's gonna stampede over the writer.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You know. Do you think the bullshitter has, um, is closer to the truth because he might be getting some subconscious truths? Um, Yeah. Because I sort of think of the bullshitter as a joker figure who's just trying to be funny and trying to maybe I have the wrong image in mind, but he he could actually be getting at some patterns. Um, oh, I think because uh, he doesn't have the same malicious intent necessarily. He's just trying to have fun.
1: Well, and I think that some of what we perceive is a consistency um, between his his writer and his elephant are not at war with themselves. Right? They're moving together. <clears throat>
0: oh, oh, oh.
1: Whereas the liar is at war with their own elephant, right? They're they're beating oh, yeah. the crap out of their elephant, trying to force it along a certain path. And it has this distinct feeling of unnaturalness or almost like when you see a video of someone abusing their animal or something like that. It just like, oh, something. Strikes you very ugh, <laughs> mm, yeah. compared to someone that say um, uh, inappropriately deals with uh, their pet in a different. Ah, uh, my analogies are not working.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, we could we could just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This. Uh, so what I have for the <laughs> for the rest of this category is you know, the collapse of experts and the rise of alternative experts, like on YouTube or podcasts, the collapse of the mainstream media, you have alternative news, alternative facts, um, rise of uh, people like the IDW who are sort of creating this counter narrative. Um, and also interesting, the collapse of mainstream religion, um, and the rise of the nuns and the new age and the spiritual, but not religious. And, um, the various uh patterns that are associated with those movements yeah. so it,
1: I describe this all as the cult formation part, so you've got the deconstructionists who are tearing apart the the older systems from every okay. angle or at least revealing their inability to deal with the current world yeah, and then the the side effect is this reemergence of new uh pocket cultures. Um, that then start battling with each other and merging with each other and making these alliances and doing all these different types of things, um, which I view almost as this bottom-up emergent game to reestablish some concept of truth. Um, Hmm. with uh, Upon a foundation of honesty uh, to some degree, just because I don't think it can survive a cult battle without
0: Honesty. Hmm, that's an interesting uh, eschatology or something. It's a, not necessarily eschatology, but sort of interesting. Um, it's on its way to eschatology. Yeah. Yeah. The eschatology
1: is the eschatology. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. It's it, it's interesting because I have something very similar. Some very similar thoughts, just from a more Christian perspective, where it's like this, this deconstruction will allow a more authentic version of sort of a way of stripping back the idols and the, and yes. the, and the, layers and the, uh, and the, and the, and the whatnot and allowing a more authentic, true, um, real version of Christianity to emerge. Yeah. Um, so well, uh, it's
1: going to be the only version of it that can survive through the stresses that have been placed on the old dead,
0: um, uh, Chris, I mean, I mean, uh, one way of describing this whole category of alternatives is the collapse of Christendom. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's very reminiscent of like the the falling of the temple and you know, some of these older,
0: Oh yeah. The structure
1: has lost its life. It's lost its flexibility. It's become fragile, um, out of this desire to form crystalline, uh, structures or images um and the side effect is that when now you have an earthquake or someone comes with a hammer or whatever uh the whole structure starts falling apart the the positive side effect of that is that it allows room for new life to to come in you can almost imagine a gardener with a pruning Mm -hmm. or a forest fire that allows the forest to be uh, you know reborn healthier than its previous iteration this
0: gets back to the to the um uh fight club fight club scene right where uh this blowing up of the old order and allowing something more primordial to emerge right it's the same thing um so this is this category um the next one is just um despair and here i'm just going to run through the meaning crisis and i want to use the the symbol of the zombie from from verveki to sort of Describe the phenomenology of 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 the meaning crisis, you know the homelessness the um the loss of logos um <laughs> the the good part of about talking to you at the uh, at the Vderle community is I can use all of these shorthands like the loss yeah. of logos <laughs> <laughs> uh you know the, this hunger that the zombie has you know hungry for something um alone in the crowd the This this unconsciousness blind sight stumbling through life, you know, apathetic The zombie doesn't care if you kill it and also the zombie is contagious and untouchable It's it's out of touch. It's out of touch with others with reality Um, and so these are all sort of the zombie as Description of the meaning crisis
1: Yes, yeah
0: Um, Anything to add there, I don't know Um,
1: well, immediately when you say the word despair, I think of the whole black pill and doomer. Um, oh
0: boy, uh,
1: community! I don't know if they're communities, but affect memetic uh, 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 cultures or colonies.
0: <laughs> right. where, uh, where where does one find these communities? I'd be fascinated to to take a look because, but I I don't know my way around the internet.
1: <laughs> I'm sure so, you can find. Much. It through Twitter although I don't use Twitter so I I know it's there somewhere I don't know how or where to find it
0: yeah that's the thing
1: um, I know it's extremely prevalent on the corners of Facebook that I inhabited uh. Um, or it's not even necessarily I don't know it definitely falls within the despair category but not necessarily the full black pill or doomer categories so yeah, weird. Facebook is an interesting one. That Ooh, one's yeah. risky to look at though, because you have to use Facebook. You know, you have to friend all the people. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> do uh, do the doomer sort of intersect with the uh, with the alt right or the um, uh, or the men going their own way or the incels or these types of movements? Um,
1: incels are probably the closest to the doomer. There's the red pill, and then the the doomers are the black pill so Mm -hmm. it's kind of they look at reality but instead of getting excited about traditionalism or these older mindsets which is somewhat the red pill thing um they instead develop a sense of hopelessness almost this waiting to die uh type of feeling or even go full on into suicide or
0: yeah um uh, just let me push back a bit on something you just said but um i don't think the the alt-right is is actually yeah it depends what you mean i guess because we just discussed this primordial thing but they're not um very optimistic about tradition at all because part of what separates the alt-right from from traditional conservatism conservative (laughs) Conservativism <laughs> is just how um, transgressive they are like they just want to burn the system down that's they, a good point yeah uh, they have no like they they have no respect like um, you can sort of compare them to you know Nagel does this in her book sort of compares the compares them to like um, moralizing figures from the 90s who were like um, uh, you know critiquing Things like porn and uh, avoiding bad language and these types of things, mm. but you know, alt right is just the sasspool of porn and uh, horrible language and mm. right. It's it's sort of the uh, what is even what even connects the alt right to conservatism besides the critique of the PC left and maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's some authoritarianism. I'm not even sure. well
1: there's yeah. so many tribes within it that it yeah, it does get very hard to
0: yeah, figure yeah, that's out. True.
1: It, you have the pre-modern red pillars, sometimes they're called um, oh, yeah. golden pillars, right? The <laughs> we will become <laughs> as gods the almost <laughs> pagan revival. Um, but then, yeah, you've got the the other side of it too, the kind of gamer, uh, really heavy internet um, person, right, the, the neckbeards as they are <laughs> uh, <it's> called. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure uh, they don't enjoy
0: that, but. Think about a specific figure like uh, Milo, Milo, for example. Well, um, he's
1: a weird one though, because he's extremely transgressive and also extremely, he does a very strong push towards traditional values.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that's part of what I was, um, that's the kind of figure I had in mind when I, when I was, um, sort of saying, you know, people on the alt right, aren't conservative in a traditional sense, because there's that, that hyper transgressive, um, uh, right. There, there's Milo sort of lives this performative contradiction. Yeah. Of, of of the values he claims to hold yeah uh, in a way i should be allowed to marry
1: but i'm gonna marry my yeah
0: yeah family. yeah exactly <laughs> and, he, and that's just what he thrives on yeah. so um yeah that is uh that actually brings us into the fourth category fifth fifth category yeah um so oh, this is ideologies um yeah. Essentially, it's pseudo-religious ideologies that try to make sense of where we are, what our condition is, where we should be headed, what's wrong, who or who, where or what is at fault. Um, and this is very similar to your cultic thing, though I think you're, you have a much more positive spin on the cults than <laughs> that I have on ideologies here. <laughs> uh, so, so what the ideology is, it's, more, it's
1: more of ironic, not ironic, uh, perhaps just naively hopeful.
0: Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it is it, is. it is. It <laughs> is. I, I get what you're saying there <laughs> you and look at the situation and have a very negative outlook, but you could also spin it in a positive direction. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that both, um, you see people, Taking both a positive version, which is something like what you express, and then also a very bleak, negative, you know, collapse of Western civilization or whatever. It's interesting that both responses come to people's minds.
1: Yeah, yeah. well And I even I've even kind of played with that. You know, the comment that Luke and I first had our first uh, video conversation over was, you know, well, was the biblical flood or or the destruction of the Tower of Babel? were these good things or bad things? Like, are we supposed to interpret them as negative events or do we interpret them as positive events because they brought more people to God in the end?
0: Well, is the resurrection a good thing or a bad thing? Right? Yes. It's 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 opens up (laughs) the new world. Right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, back to ideologies, um, what happens happens with ideologies is they create this, Alternative reality which then gets reinforced by the tribal dynamics uh, Which is what essentially any community does, right? It's um, This is how we see the world and we're going to reinforce it with each other Um, And then there's this this battleground of different tribes, you know, the alt-right versus the PC left to butt heads and then um, There's this negative feedback loop Um, some other examples would be the new atheists versus religious fundamentalists, and <clears throat> what's interesting in both of these examples is how uh, they're sort of mirror image opposites of each other. The the PC left is just like the alt right in that it's transgressive, and um, there's another similarity. Uh, both are, are have sort of this transgressive nature, and the new atheists versus the fundamentalists both are interested in having this, this dogmatic certainty and projecting, um, their projecting a modern view onto the past. Um, sorry. So, so it's interesting how they're, how they're mirror opposites. Yeah. Um,
1: which again gets into that bizarre Hegelian definition thing. But yeah, it is interesting. It's like almost anywhere where one takes the positive, the other takes the negative. And so you end up Peterson had a great illustration of what ideology is and what separates ideology from religion. Oh yeah. And the way he had set it up was was basically I was like reaching for something to draw a picture with. Um
0: <laughs>
1: you have a positive and a negative for any say is. So I think the example he used was like the, the pioneers in America or the formation of America. So on one hand, you, you know, you've got nature and you've got positive nature and negative nature and positive nature is something like the, the beautiful pristine, you know, mother earth, this, this kind of hippie take on nature. Yeah. And then on the other, you have the negative nature, which is nature as the untamed, the chaotic, the dangerous, right? Where your potential for getting killed is extremely high. And right, it's in need of order, it's in need of conquering. Um, and then you've got say the, the native peoples and you have the positive, the noble savage Oh, yeah. Myth, and then you've got like just the savage myth, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the, the colonials, and you've got the positive colonials bringing their enlightenment and their technology to a place yeah. where it's lacking. And then you've got the negative, the evil yeah. conquerors that go around merc- mercilessly killing. Colonialism.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, so his point was that ideology is when you only take one positive and negative of each of these characterizations and you form a story out of it. So you mm. might make negative nature with negative uh, natives and positive colonialists. And then you create a story out of it saying, well, we were the great people that came and, and tamed nature and put down the evil savages and right, go, go us. That's an ideology. His mm. point is that a religion is all of it. It's yeah. Okay. Positive and negative nature. Uh huh. Oh yeah. I mean, both roles. The colonialist plays both roles. The the native plays both roles. It, that's it, what makes a religion it, separate.
0: It, have you seen um First Reformed? Uh. Mm, no. Ah. Oh, yeah. I was just gonna give you an analogy from that movie where but I I can watch that movie and (laughs) we should talk about it sometime. (laughs) Okay, Okay, But it it actually, it does play around with that dynamic in some interesting ways. But, um, the, the incarnation is a perfect example of this, where you have, um, you know, the humanity and the divinity of, of Jesus. And what, what, what tends to happen is, um, people who want certainty will sort of turn take one polarity of that and sort of uh, sort of turn it turn Chris what, what Christianity is is actually all about is managing the extremes and um, trying to to deal with these dualities you know the, the incarnation is the centerpiece of 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 a host of dualities that run all the way through Christianity. Yeah. Um, you know uh, the flesh and the spirit um, uh, what are some other examples, you know, God and man, um, uh, we should, you know, the, the church and the individual, some, and and what what, what, what we have to do as a Christian is always manage these tensions and then exist within these tensions, but you can never flop over to one side or stop managing the, the tensions because that's when you fall into idolatry or or that's one way of thinking about it. So, so, yeah,
1: uh, well, that's why like Gnosticism is considered a heresy. Is that it collapses yeah, totally this, this uh, paradox into a linear order that allows the people to then navigate reality, but only in this skewed ideal ideological system or uh, yeah system of idols.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's this line in first reformed where, um, well, I think the pastor says something, something like that, um, where, you know, he says, uh, young people today are, um, are gravitating towards these extremes, um, because they want this sense of certainty, certainty. yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: that's just as a quick side note too. one of the features I highlighted in what makes a very powerful cult is, is precisely this, its ability to digest and process a paradox in a meaningful way, because yeah. right? you'll end up with ones that identify a paradox, but then leave it in this unexperienceable state, just this stunted, um, uh, you know, there's no way to interact with it. There's no What's way to bring that? it in. Um, what is a good example? I mean, usually isolate um, paradoxes within any worldview and they often kind of create the bizarre characteristics of that worldview. Uh, one example might be something like the performative contradiction of Harris saying there's no such thing as free will, but then teach you know, teaching his ch- kids or at least treating them as if they do have free will, acting mm-hmm. as if there is free will. Um, if you leave the paradox in this type of suspended animation, you don't ever get into it. For example, that way of dealing well, and it's tricky, right? Because what he did is he collapsed the paradox down into a false linear order that resembles something more along the lines of an ideology than it does actually keep a stunted paradox. So it's tricky
0: the paradox might be something example. like um we experience free will but um it doesn't seem to be compatible with our materialistic science might be one uh, paradox the way i think about it is I, I act as if i have free will i experience free will i use free will but i can't make sense of the world Uh, in and fit free will into it maybe and yes
1: yeah that's a good example
0: yeah 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 well and that's a weird one right it becomes a
1: a powerful weakness of the worldview and people hone in on it right they start attacking it It, for example Paul uh, PVK um, has made a large number of videos attacking that exact paradox right where he hones in on that and says look you can't this doesn't work Right? Not only is there this paradox that you're now trying to pretend doesn't exist, but if you try and actually use the worldview you claim to have to process it, it's undigestible. You end up with with meaninglessness. Uh, Well, you can contrast that, say, with with Christianity's uh, paradox, which also holds it in a bizarre um, suspension, which is the fixation on Christ's uh, death or even even more bluntly on the on the last words of Christ. Right. It's (laughs) why God have you forsaken me? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimate condensation of that paradox into, you know, this tiny fragment of time, but it does so in a way where if you're trying to deal with it intellectually, it's in it's inaccessible. There's no way to make sense of it. Right. But, the way that it's set up within the narrative structure, mm-hmm. you can experience it. Oh yeah. Experience yeah. it as a truth. And that experience of it alters something in you. And that altering of it in you is what the religion is it's 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 the work the religion does on you.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: It changes something deep, deep, deep in there. Pre intellectualizing, pre, you know
0: there's a there's this great um a uh, piece of writing from Kierkegaard where he writes about the the resurrection <laughs> you guys knew he was going to turn up here somewhere <laughs> <laughs> um where he writes about the resurrection he says um you can't uh the only way to sort of make yourself believe the resurrection is to live the christian life and you'll discover you you need the resurrection you can't live without the resurrection you um it's sort of, it, it, um, it's not this, Oh, I, I believe this thing. It's, it's more like I need this to survive. The resurrection needs to be true or my life is an absurdity. So yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. And so I guess my point there was that again, just in analyzing cults, that's a key factor of what makes one powerful. If you don't have that, you will lose the worldview battle for sure. Uh, The other part of that is that being able to do that with a single paradox allows you to process, it's like a skeleton key. It allows you to consume anything in the world, right? Because if you can do that, whatever that is, if you can allow a paradox to be experienced as truth rather than as just this contradiction or collapsing it into um, a nonsensical story, you. You can then apply that to the- pa- the yeah. rest of the paradoxes of the world,
0: oh yeah, oh yeah, so that's
1: what makes it these the cults that are able to do that so robust, so powerful is that they can uh, create meaning across the world, oh yeah, implicating it within the single instance
0: gotcha, gotcha okay,. Uh... <laughs> I, uh, let me read you a quote. (laughs) Uh, I'm sort of trying to move this thing along, (laughs) sorry. Um, No, yeah. But I read you a quote from from Kill All Normies, uh, which sort of gets at this um, alt-right, PC, left um, death spiral thing, which it's very helpful. Uh, Fascinating quote. So every bizarre event, new identity, and strange subcultural behavior that baffles general general audiences when they eventually make the mainstream media, from other kin to far-right peppy memes, can be understood as a response to a response, to a response, response, each one responding angrily to the existence of the other. Trumpian meme makers ramped up their taboo-breaking anti-PC style in response to gender-bending Tumblr users, who themselves became more sensitive, more convinced of the racism, misogyny, and heteronormative oppression of the world outside their online subcultures. At the same time, the deplorables from the Trumpian trolls to the alt-right, view the Hillary loyalists, the entrenched identity politics of Tumblr and the intersectional anti-free-speech campus left as evidence of their equally bleak view of the declining Western civilization, Um, as both sides have become increasingly unmoored to any cultural mainstream, which which scarcely resembles either bleak vision. So, yeah, that... Gets at something.
1: Yeah, death spirals is definitely away
0: from the mainstream. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and and it's weird because not only does it's not it's not just moving away from the mainstream; it is actually actively destroying any sense of a mainstream.
0: It's sucking the mainstream into it. Maybe what's happening also, where the point she makes in the book is actually that this sort of tumblr um, pc gender bending stuff uh actually sort of you know the 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 sort of uh identity politics that started to become mainstream actually originated on these tumblr um, tumblr uh forms and then actually made its way into the mainstream from there as you saw people uh schooled in those environments um you know becoming journalists and becoming influencers and creeping out into the mainstream, which is fascinating that uh, uh, a sort of minority subculture could have that big of an impact, I guess. Yeah,
1: that's I'd say more than anything, the powerful effect of the Internet. And again, you can kind of push this all the way back to the printing press where this effect started to ramp up, where Insignificant, tiny people's voices suddenly became extremely loud. Yeah. Granted, it, there was it was still so difficult back then to allow that to happen. That generally, if it happened, it happened for at least a decent reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas now, uh, yeah, we're able to magnify subcultures so extremely. Um, you know, and it's it's interesting because people often talk about all the negatives. Of an echo chamber, mm-hmm. but you cannot deny the power of an echo chamber. When you're and all the, speaking into an echo chamber, you're building up so much energy inside of it, even with only <laughs> a relatively small group of people. And then when you finally unleash that energy you've been building up in this thing, it has a much more powerful effect on the mainstream culture than than, uh, well, you know, yelling into just an open space. To the soapboxer, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in a sense, the mainstream is a is an echo chamber, which yeah, the extreme way of putting it, because the mainstream is much bigger than a a little cult that has its tiny little salience landscape. The mainstream has a much bigger salience landscape, but of course, it can't encompass everything in its salience landscape, so it's always leaving stuff out, and maybe the. Spaces it leaves out is where these little cults can start to emerge or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm sure there's got to be some graphical representation of this. That would be very uh, enlightening but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what it is So, <laughs>
0: uh, Okay, I'll move on to the final category um, because I need to go to supper soon. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: we've been pushing it for a while here
0: yeah, so this, this last category is longing, um, and this is uh, a part, uh, very much a response, to the very first category I discussed, which is um, about efficiency. Um, people are essentially searching for what isn't efficient. Um, there's this hunger for reality, this longing for spirituality, for liturgy, for embodiment, for community, real connection connection with nature or tradition, rootedness, responsibility, slow life, slow food, experience, travel, um, and sort of all of these things that make up reality, which can't be reduced to the the machine view of the world, which aren't efficient because there's nothing efficient about, you know, experiencing the world or having um, genuine connection or connecting with nature or spirituality they, these types of things are are what make us human which these are the types of things that this ethos of efficiency machine world is constantly trying to squeeze out um, so there's there's this hunger for these things um, and just a few more things there's the metaphor that's being used is the world as an organism versus the world as a machine um, so the, this this notion of the world as an ecosystem as connected as living as dynamic um and also even uh, again
1: emergent even it's a focus on the emergent qualities of the dynamics between things rather than things
0: themselves sure yeah it's part of it yeah and knowledge um a move beyond the scientism or the propositional knowing. Um, a recognition that knowing is bound up with the body, with the community, with your context. That know- knowledge is something that grows, that's dynamic, that expands. It's not something static. That there are different ways of knowing, different types of truth, an embrace of uncertainty in knowledge, um, less fixation on certainty, and also um, this recognition of what we bring to the world. McGilchrist um, talks about this a lot. You know what we bring to the world makes new things shine forth. So this mutual, um, Vervekian agent arena, um, back and forth that's going on. Um, and then there's also, um, this gets embodied in movements like, um, you know, minimalism, um, movements towards intentional community, uh, movements towards, um, more traditional liturgical, um, forms of religion, um, Can't really think of any others. Do you have anything, Allison? You'd add to those three that sort of fall into that category.
1: Well, yeah. There's lots of little areas one could go. I had an interesting conversation. He disappeared from the Discord, but uh, Benedict. Oh yeah. uh, About we were talking about music and we were talking about the re-embodiment in terms of musical genres. So mm. by the time you get to very modern forms of music, um, uh, things like dubstep or, or even like heavy metal, or you know, yeah, there's this intense desire to take music out of the auditory realm into the embodied realm which is to say, part of what makes music, music in these genres is not just what it sounds like, it's what it feels like as the sound waves pulse through your body. So there is like this, it is almost this this uh, reminding of one to enter into, uh, back down into the yeah. body and trying to make a person comfortable there that's the interesting thing about dubstep and metal too is usually the types of music that do this are brutal they're heavy they're harsh forms of music it's not beautiful delicate melodies usually that are allowing you to re-embody you know it's like overwhelming bass and dissonant noises and these this kind of you know Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's actually somewhat symbolic of what it's like. This the, almost the story we've been on, where we have tried to escape out of the person up into abstraction. Yeah. Where there's these crystalline melodies, and it's the all trigger. treble, right? And then this re-entering into the body from that place. The body's so unco- such an uncomfortable place to be when you want to imagine yourself as this pristine abstract. yeah 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 right? it it's got all these needs it smells you have to go to the bathroom you have to eat like you know you have to kill things in order to stay alive <laughs> like there's all these brutal aspects to it and uh yeah i think you see that actually embodied in a lot of these embodied uh, attempts to <laughs> embody ourselves again to become comfortable with being um,
0: because, you know the tribal drum sort of comes yeah. to mind right yes um, Um, but hey I need yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. this this has been great yeah Uh, too much stuff to talk about (laughs) yeah Yeah, we're talking about everything essentially when we're talking about the zeitgeist so yes (laughs)
1: everything comes
0: up probably
1: (laughs) done a whole video on just one of those but uh, I think
0: we should do that sometime I think yeah we could we could okay
1: All right, that was wonderful, Julian. I'll send the uh, recording over to you when I get a a moment.
0: Or send it to Jeff, straight off. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay, that makes sense. Later. See ya.